friends, if you, if you don't have a hummus near you, you might want to get one. We'll wait up. Oh, it's 10 a.m. Good morning. Um, I am so excited to be back here. I really missed it. Baruch Hashem for very good reason. I wasn't uh, here the week before Shavuos and, um, and then it was Shavuos. Um, so it's exciting to be back. We're doing Nasai Dalit in Chilek um, Chai Yutches of Lekutei Sichas. Um, I just wanted to begin by uh, sharing a few words about um, the background of this Sicha. I don't know if she's on, but sometimes uh, Mrs. Jaffe in Manchester is on. So the last time that the Rebbe uh, was in the Frieder Rebbe's apartment for Sauda on a Yamtiv on Shvuis. This wasn't the last Sauda of any Yamtiv, but it was the last Sauda of Shvuis upstairs in 770. Uh, so Reb Zalman Jaffe was present uh, at that Sauda. And um, he said to the Rebbe that he, uh, I hope I'm, I'm relating the, the story properly. He said to the Rebbe that he had questions on this Rashi that we're going to do. And uh, he asked a few Ben Chamesh Lamikra for the answers and they were unable to give him the answers. So the Rebbe said, uh, we'll take care of it this Shabbos. And, um, and this is the Rashi Sicha that the Rebbe taught uh, the Shabbos following uh, that Shavuos, where Zalman Jaffe asked him questions, uh, told him that he had he had uh, questions on this Rashi that he could not understand, and that that he had asked Ben Chamish Lamikras to explain to him, they couldn't understand. Um, during the Sicha itself, the Rebbe turned to Reb Zalman and asked him a few times, "How many questions so far?" Um, if I counted correctly, uh, there are ten questions in all. Uh, that we're, we're going to look at. Uh, so let's begin by looking at the Pasuk and the Rashi. Um, so we're in Nasai, Perek Vav, Pasuk Chavgimu, uh, 623. Um, so in 622, Vav Chavbez, Vayidaber Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is how you shall bless B'nai Yisrael, saying to them. In the next Pasuk, we have the iconic words of the Birchas Kaihanim. So let's take a look at the Rashi on Chav Gimel. First part of Rashi, Omar. Rashi says, Amar, saying, shamar, like Zohar, remembering, shamar, keeping. Belaz, um, and in the Belashon Amzu, when Rashi says Belaz, it's old French. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Desa, um, which means the ongoing action usage. Saying. Desa means saying, but it's conjugated in the ongoing usage. Amar lahem, Rashi says, saying to them, It should be said in such a way that they should all hear. And finally, Amar, the word Amar, Amar is full. It's written with a vav. Sometimes it's written chaser without the vav. 
Malay, you should not bench them with haste and rushing or in a frenzy or hysterically, but with concentration, and a whole heart. This is the version of Rashi. And now we're going to go to the Sicha. The Sicha is being learned today in the commandment in the Torah about the priestly blessing, uh, the Torah says, so you shall bless the children of Israel, saying to them, perish Rashi's atebis amar lahem, Rashi explains the words saying to them, Omar lahem, zachar shamar belaz desan. It's like when the Torah says zachar or shamar, and Omar um, lahem in old French would mean saying. Again, in the uh, infinitive form. Omar lahem, the second comment of Rashi, say to them in such a way that all of them will hear it. Amar Malay, the word Amar is Malay rather than Chaser, it's written with above rather than without. You shall not bless them in great haste, in a great hurry, uh, and uh, with hysteria or frenzy or great haste. But with intent, and with a complete heart. And from the fact that Rashi gives us a deeper Hamaschil, he cites the words of the Pasuk each time, twice he cites the words saying to them, and in like fashion, once he cites the word Amar. Muchach, so this proves shakol pirush bivar inyan nifrad belashen hamuteket. This this proves that each pirush, each one of Rashi's comments, comes to address something separately in the words that are cited. Aval tsarich lahavin, but we have to understand. So if you're going to make a notation, this is question number one. Rebbe asks, if in the first two Perushim, Rashi cites both words, Amar Lahem, and in the third, he cites only the word Amar, we would think logically, so if he was going to comment just on the word Amar as standalone by itself, then he should first comment on that and then treat Amar Lahem twice more. So why is it in this order? First question, and the Rebbe answers right away, but from the order that the Rashi brings it, it's understood. Although each one of these comments is standalone, 
Still in all, they have to appear in exactly this order. Because the question that Rashi comes to reconcile in his third comment, is only a question, it only arises after the first two perushim. So that was question number one. And the Rebbe explains, and then when he explains the whole sikh, we'll be able to understand better. But he's giving us the reason. Bez. In this if we're going to get two more questions on the first part of Rashi. The perish harishim berashi. So in the first comment that Rashi makes, kemai zohar shamar. Like when the Torah says zohar shamar, biaru mefarshim. So first the Rebbe is going to give us two things that the Mephorshim explained on this Rashi, and then he's going to ask two questions. Biru Mephorshim, the Mephorshim explained, Shekavonas Rashi bedvarav liyashev koishi betevas amar. That Rashi's intention here is to address a question that arises on the word amar. She'ena balashan tzibui, ele balashan haive, makor. The word amar is conjugated differently than we would expect. It's not conjugated as a command, as an imperative, you shall do so, such and so, but rather in the present form, or perhaps more correctly, in the infinitive form, in the ongoing action. And how do we know this? Because the Aleph, the first letter in that word, because if it was going to be the command or the imperative, then the olive would have been vocalized with a segel or with a chirik, and then there would have been a vav at the end. So it would have been imru lahem or emar lahem. But no, the word amar comes with a kamatz under this. And so Rashi comes to explain, according to a number of Mepharshim, Rashi comes to explain that while it's true that the word Amar here is not a command or an imperative, but rather a present or infinitive form, but still in all, this is not anomalous in the Torah. Why do Rashi says, yes, I understand why it would raise your eyebrow, but this is not a yetzimina kalal. It's not a, um, an exception. We find in the Torah, zohar, shamar, conjugated exactly like this. And so what do we learn when we have a present form that comes where we would think there would be a command, an imperative, we learn We learn that this is something that has to be constant. Just as Rashi explains in Parshas Yisrael on the word Zohar, to new lave liskar tamid. Put your hearts to remember constantly. And this is regarding Shabbos, of course. And there, there are those that explain B'divri Rashi, that explain Rashi's commentary, a little bit differently. 
There are those that opine based on what Rashi is saying. In other words, the super commentary on Rashi, analyze Rashi, and they say that what he's teaching us is that although Omar with a comment, a is not in command form, it's not Lashon Tzivoy, but it is what's called in grammar, infinitive absolute or infinitive form. And Rashi says, yes, and we have the same thing with Zohar and Shamar, that they are the infinitive absolute, ongoing action. Although the intention is a commandment, but it's conjugated in the form of an infinitive absolute. So these are the two ways that, um, and then it's just a subtle difference between them. These are the two ways that the Mephorsh and the super commentaries and Rashi explain Rashi's words. But the Rebbe says, but if this is how you learn what Rashi wants, Kasha, he has a difficulty. And this is in addition to other difficulties. One. First question is, if Rashi is only going to comment on the word So why does he put also the word Why does he not put the word And then just write That's question number one. We also have to understand why does Rashi Dafka bring two examples of where you have the same infinitive absolute conjugation in the Torah, both Zohar and Shamar? And why did he not contain himself? Why did he not satisfy himself with just bringing one, either Zohar or Shamar? So, so far we have Two questions on the first comment of Rashi. Now we're going to see if Gimel, where there are going to be three questions on the second part of Rashi. The Perish Habez Barashi, in the second part of Rashi, Omar Lahem Shiyukhulam Shaimim, say it to them in a way that everybody can hear it. So the simple explanation would be Kabir HaMefarshim, like the Mefarshim explained, This comes to obviate the thought that we would ever think that the Kayin can say this bracha by himself, to himself. He can say it to himself. Although the kahal won't hear it. If he says it to himself, nobody will hear it. No, it has to be a more lahem. It has to be in a way where they all hear it. The enoi move on. And now the Rebbe is going to bring three questions. I don't know if there is a correlation. I'm just pointing out that in Siv Beis, there are two questions, in Siv Gimel, there are three questions, and in Siv Dalet, there are four questions. Aleph, the Eina Muvan, Rebbe says it's not understood. Number one, Mimanem Shech, either way, 
אם הלימוד של רש"י הוא מטבעס להם, שיהיו כולם שומעים. If what Rashi wants to teach us is from the word lahem, that everybody should, shoimim, should be able to hear, lo yehiyot sarich lahatik tevas emor, amar, amar, with a comment. So then Rashi should not have included the word amar in the deeper hamaschim. Ve'im ra'yasa shal Rashi higam mitevas amar, but if Rashi's proof is also from the word amar, she'amira tzvichaliyaz ba'ifin hagalahem, that the way in which the kehanim say it has to be in a way that will reach them all. Ve'chei mistaber yoyse l'chera, and logically it would seem that that's what Rashi's saying. Hiperizem matim yoyse l'techna pasuk dekoi ba'amiras ha'kehanim v'loi b'shmiyas b'nei Yisrael, and the reason makes sense to say that the perush is based on the word amar, that it's addressing how the kaihanim give the blessing rather than how the Jews are listening to it, is because the Rebbe says the pasuk is about how the kaihanim are saying it. So it's more logical to believe that that's what's being addressed here. So then, So then Rashi should have in his commentary Instead of saying that they should all be able to hear it, Rashi should have cited a more fitting expression, like the Gemara in fact cites, that when they say the blessing, it has to be loudly. So why does Rashi use the term which seems to address that all of them should be able to hear it, rather than the Kaihanim should say the bracha in a loud voice. That's question number one. Question number two. Kevan shekabanis Rashi lishla lesasbarish habracha te amar beinam levein atzmam. Because Rashi seems to want to obviate the thesis that the bracha can be said to themselves by themselves. The by the Kohanim to themselves. Madua leikasav zayis beperish kimayish shalal beperish lekamen loy sevarach and bechipazan. So why doesn't Rashi write it out clearly, just like he does later? He's not adverse to saying things clearly. The Rebbe proves this because in the next comment he's going to say, "Don't bless them in a hurried way, in a frenzied way." So why wouldn't Rashi say over here, don't say it to yourself? And especially and especially because it's exactly how it's delineated in the Sifri and the Gemara. And it would seem, the Rebbe says, that we should be able to learn a Kalvachimer. It's a Kalvachimer. If the Sifri, which is addressed to at least the 10-year-old who is already learning Mishnah, and the Gemara that is addressed to at least the 15-year-old, there is need to be very clear. Because in the Sifri and the Gemara, it says very, very clearly that they should not say the bracha to themselves, or they shouldn't say it in a whisper. So how much more so Rashi should have very clearly delineated when he's writing to a Ben Chamesh. The third question on the second part of Rashi, 
Why does he cite in his perush the word everyone should hear? But he doesn't write more specifically who is the everybody. And although true, it's coming as part of the pasuk that says, and so you shall bless B'nai Yisrael, you shall say to them, but surely this can't mean all of B'nai Yisrael all over the entire world. But rather, it's it's the blessing is addressed to those who are standing at that gathering. So Rashi should have written stylistically in a way that is more fitting. Again, like the Sifri explains, the Sifri says that the whole congregation that was gathered there should be able to hear or something like that. So let's review very, very quickly the questions so far. The um, two questions on the first part of Rashi are, if Rashi seeks to um, simply explain why Omar is conjugated the way it is, why does he also include the word lahem in the deeper Hamas film? That was question number one. And question number two was, why does he have to bring two precedents for this type of conjugation? Either Zachar or Shamar would have been enough. In Siv Gimel, the three questions on the second part of Rashi. Number one, why does he include the word lahem? If it seems that it's really, I'm sorry, if, if the limit of Rashi is from the word lahem, so why does he include the word Amar? And if his proof that everybody has to listen is from the word Amar, that the way that the Kaihanim say the bracha has to be heard by everyone, then why not in his commentary speak to how it has to be said, Bikol Ram, loudly? The second question is that since Rashi's intention seems to be to obviate the possibility that you would think that they can say it to themselves. So why does Rashi not say that clearly in full-throated fashion? Like in his third commentary, he says it shouldn't be done quickly and it shouldn't be done with hysteria. So why not over here very clearly say it should not be done privately or in a whisper? And the third question is, he says that everybody should be able to hear it, but who's the everybody? Surely this can't mean every Jew on the entire planet. So again, why doesn't he do what the Sifri does and say it is everybody in the congregation that is gathered there? I just want to go back to the second question and just explain the Rebbe says that there's a Kal here. If the Sifri and the Gemara feel compelled to say clearly that the Kaihanim shouldn't bless B'nai Yisrael by themselves or in a whisper, then why doesn't Rashi feel the need to do it for the Mechamish Lamikra? Now we are in Siv Dalit, where again we have four questions on the third part of Rashi. The Perush Hagimu, in the third commentary, Amar Mole. And the Debraham Maschil here was just the word Amar. 
And Rashi's comment is that it's written with a vav, full, rather than incomplete without a vav. And Rashi says, You should not bless them quickly, in haste, and in a frenzy, or in hysteria. It should be with intention and with a complete heart. And the Rebbe says there are four things we have to understand. Tzarech lahavin. Aleph. We have already said many, many times that the, the male and the chaser, when a word can appear in either one of those two forms, and when it appears male, it appears with the vav or with the yud, or when it appears chaser, is not something that Rashi is compelled to comment on. Because in most of the times, it does not relate to the Pshutta Shalmikra. On the contrary, in 99%, most, the vast majority of times where a word is written this way or that way, Rashi does not comment. The only time Rashi answers is when the fact that it's male or chaser answers a question that arises in Shutra Shalmikra. We have to understand. What doesn't compute here? That the male would come to reconcile. That's question number one. Question number two. Why should we even think that the Kohanim would bless B'nai Yisrael in a great hurry or in a frenzy, that the terrorists should have to warn against that? The Midrash Isa, the Midrash teaches, Hashem said to the Kohanim, not because I told you you should bless them, you should go ahead and bless them, but under duress and hysterically. But rather, you should bless them with full intention. So don't bless them just because I asked you to bless them. And so you feel forced, you're under duress. And so you'll do it quickly and maybe you'll even do it half-heartedly. No, it has to be with full intention. And the simple explanation, like Nefarshim explained, So because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, imparted the bracha in the hands of the kaihanim, he wants to make sure they don't do it in a hurry and they don't do it loudly screaming in a way that's unseemly. But the Rebbe pushes back and he says, it's hard to say, it's hard to say that this is what Rashi intended. If, if this is actually what Rashi intended, he should have said that clearly. And 
And the Rebbe says, I'll give you a simple explanation for why this does not jive. Why? Because we have already learned in the Torah the commandment to love your fellows, you love yourself. And just like the Kaihanim would the Kaihan would want that when you bless him, it should not be in hurried and it shouldn't be in a frenzy or with hysteria. But it should be with full intention and full heart. So obviously the Kayin would do the same when he blesses somebody, when he blesses B'nai Yisrael, because that's how he would want to be blessed, and he already learned. So the Rebbe is not accepting what the Mepharshim explained, Rashi is coming to Bavar, and Rashi is coming to explain. Gam in Leymar, we also can't say, that the assumption, that the bracha will be in haste, and will be with some touch of hysteria, that perhaps the Kahanim will be hurried and frenzied because they will be overwhelmed by Hashem's commandment that they bless B'nai Yisrael. Because if it would have been necessary to warn that the commandment of Hashem should not arouse hysteria, the Torah should have explained at the very beginning in Parshas Bay, where we get the first commandment, that when Hashem gives you a commandment, don't be hysterical. I don't know if it's only me that I feel a little bit better that the Torah has to warn about getting hysterical because I was never one of these calm mothers and I'm given to screaming hysterically. And I don't know, this just made me feel a little bit better that I'm not the only or the first hysterical person. Okay, Gimel, the third question. What is Rashi coming to teach us by saying both terms, not in haste and not in frenzy? And in fact, what is the source for these two different ideas? And the fourth question is in the same style. And in like fashion, we could ask the same question regarding the two positive terms that Rashi cites, with intention, and with a complete heart. Maybe a complete heart means sincerely. Ubifrat, and especially in the Midrash, in the Midrash that, that the Chabad just cited, over there it only says with intention of the heart. Why would Rashi here feel compelled to also add Ubalev Shalem and with a full heart, sincerely? Um, so let's review the four questions in if Dalit. Um, Question number one. Um, so why is Rashi commenting here at all on a mole? 
when we know that in general, this is not Rashi's purview, unless, and therefore we must say here, it's coming to explain a question that arises in the pshat. So we have to understand what is the driving question in the pshat on the word Ammar that is reconciled by seeing the full, the mole Ammar with a vav. Second question is, why would we even think that the Kaihanim would bless B'nai Yisrael in great haste and with a touch of frenzy or hysteria? And um, the Rebbe brings down the Medrash that the Hashem says to the Kaihanim, I don't want this to be something that you do under duress and that you do like in a frenzy simply because I told you to do it. I want you to want to bless B'nai Yisrael. But the Rebbe says, I don't think that's Rashi's intention here. Because why would the Kaihanim want to bless B'nai Yisrael in a way that would be less than satisfactory when they already learned they wouldn't want somebody to give them a half-hearted blessing. Why would they give somebody else a half-hearted blessing? And the Rebbe says, and I also don't think that you could say that the assumption that they will be doing this under duress or quickly or with frenzy is because they become overwhelmed by Hashem's tzibui. If that would be the case, that people would become overwhelmed from Hashem's tzibui, then that would have to be addressed in Parshas Boi before the very first mitzvah. The third question is, what is Rashi coming to teach us by saying dafka in haste and with frenzy or hysteria, why both? And why, question number four, why does Rashi say two expressions? The blessing has to be with intention and it has to be with a full heart, with sincerity. And especially because the Medrash only talks about intention of the heart and Rashi adds full-heartedly or sincerely. And of course, we just have to remind ourselves that the Rebbe taught us that there are no extraneous words in Rashi. So therefore, there has to be a very particular reason for why Rashi adds these two words, one in the first and one in the second, one in the negative and one in the positive. Si'if hei. And the Rebbe says, and now I'm going to explain all of the above questions. Ten, uh, nine questions, and then there was the first one that the Rebbe explained generally. Remember, one of the questions I've asked is, if he's going to just comment, Rashi, on the word Amar, why include the word Lahem in the Dibar Mascha? But the Rebbe says, that the imperative for Rashi to comment on the word Amar, that it is like Zohar Shamar, actually comes from the word Lahem. The Lachain Hetik is Beza Tebois, and that is why Rashi puts both words in the Divramas. Why? If the Torah would have been constructed in the following way, it would have said, and so you shall bless the children of Israel, saying, 
then we would have simply understood this Amar that the word Amar saying is not a command, it is the infinitive form of the verb, meaning so this is how you would have understood the Pasuk. Cain to Varuchos Bnei Yisrael. This is how you should bless Bnei Yisrael. Ba'amiras, the word Amar would have mean would have meant by saying Yivarechacha Hashem biyishmarecha, etc., etc. Avol kevon shenemar Amar lahem. But since it doesn't say Amar, it says Amar lahem, saying to them Harezeh, the word lahem. Signoin Sheltsivoy. This is stylistically the way the Torah introduces a command. And the Rebbe says, if you want to look in your Chumash, we have an example right here. And um, the example is in Parshas Nasai, in our same Perek, Vav, in Pasuk Zion. So Vav Zion. So it's just a few sukkim above what we're doing. And there the Torah says, La'aviv o la'imoy la'achiv o la'achaysay lo'i yitameh lahem. This is talking about the, uh, the Nazir, for his father, his mother, his brother and sister. Lo'i yitameh lahem b'moysam. He shall not ritually defile himself for them when they die. And this is a command. So the Rebbe says, now you understand why Rashi has to put lahem in the Debra Maschil. Because the question only arises when you put the word Amar before the word lahem, because lahem is a lashon of tzivoy. But once you understand it's a tzivoy, elashim kein kasha. So once you understand that it is a command, madua nemar amar belashin makar bekamats veloi belashin tzivoy besegal imru. That's when we got the question of why is it conjugated in this infinitive form instead of with a segal or a chiruk and an additional uh, suffix of above, which would have been the conventional way for a command to be conjugated. Now the Rebbe goes in to explain that um, grammatically, lashin makar velashin tzivoy al that grammatically, when you have the infinitive form of a verb, or you have a command for a certain action, these are two very different things. Because the infinitive verb actually obviates the action. Now, um, if you look in footnote 21, um, it says, regarding everything we said above about the Lashem Makar, the infinitive verb, and everything that will be explained in this Hicha, you should look in the Kutesichas Chilak Yudalit. So um, I will read it to you because I didn't know that everybody would have a Chilak Yudalit handy. So this is from Parshas Vayelach, and this is Chilak Yudalit. And in Seiv um, Dalit of that Sicha, which is also a Rashi Sicha, the Rebbe says as follows. I'm just going to read one paragraph. Mashmeusa shaloshim makor, 
the intention or the understanding of when a word is written is conjugated in infinitive verb. Shoilela says in hapaula. It obviates the idea of action. When you have the word lakayach, which is what the Rebbe is treating there, it is, it's, 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 its explanation is, its definition is, you're talking about taking, but in an abstract form. It's cut off from the actual action of taking something. And the Rebbe says that the distance, the obvious dichotomy between the infinitive verb and an action verb, is much further than the difference between past, present, and future, all in the action verb. Because past, present, and future all relate to an action. The difference is past, present, or future. But in contradistinction, when you talk about the infinitive verb, the infinitive verb describes the general action, but it's disconnected from an actual action. Okay, so now going back into our sicha. So again, our question is, why conjugate in this form? And it is this question that Rashi seeks to reconcile with his words, that although here in this Pasuk, Amar Lahem is in fact a commandment, but still in all, it can appear in the Torah conjugated in the infinitive verb, Amar bekamat kemai zochar shamar. Rashi is explaining kashem shebezochar v'shamar hamechuvan hutzivui, just like in Yisroi zochar and shamar is intended as a commandment. Va'afal pikein nemar hadara belashem makar, and still in all it's conjugated in the infinitive verb liyosim moral in intimidi, because it's coming to show us that this is a commandment that has a constancy about it. Kemosha Parish Rashi Shum, like Rashi explains in Parshas Yitzroy, Kain Hugam Bitsivoy Marlahem. Just like Zachar and Shamar has a constancy about it, so to hear Amar Lahem, you shall say to them, Shanemar Belosha Makar, that is said in the infinitive verb, Mitadatam Shabirchas Kayanim he inyin tmidi. Because Birchas Kayanim is something that is constant. Now I'm expecting that you might be thinking to yourself, uh, constant. I mean, we're not constantly saying birchas kainim. The kaihanim are not constantly saying birchas kainim. So the Rebbe will explain this. Siivav al So once we understand this, yuvan gamashu hutzer Rashi lebeis harayos heim mizochar vehein mishamar. Once you understand that this is a tzivui, although it's conjugated differently, it is a command, but it's commanded in this particular form because there is a constancy about this commandment. 
Now we understand why Rashi must bring both Zachar and Shamar and did not um, feel like one was enough. Haraya mi Zachar levada ena maspekas. If Rashi would have only brought down Zachar, it would not have been enough. Why? It would be one thing to say that the word Zachar, although conjugated in this fashion, is a commandment. Why? Because there's something about this particular form that speaks to constancy, and we have to constantly remember Shabbos. Like Rashi says there, put your heart to remember constantly. And Rashi is not talking specifically about actively remembering, but about some kind of global consciousness in your heart that you will remember constantly. And so since it has to be a constant consciousness, a constant memory, it's not circumscribed to a particular time. But as we just said, here we're speaking, we're not talking about something constant. It's done only at certain times in the year. And even if you're going to say that according to Birchas Kayanim, you would have to have Birchas, uh, sorry, according to the traditional Mikra, you have to have Birchas Kayanim every day, which in fact the Sephardim do. So that's only once a day. But then, Zohar would not be the right proof, the right Raya, because it has to be a constant and unremitting global memory of Shabbos every moment of every day. But you don't have Beres Kayinim every moment of every day. Lachain Hevi Rashi Gam Esaraya Mishamar. That's why Rashi also brought the word Shamar. Omizer Shakasab Pashto Zohar Shamar. And because Rashi wrote, Simply Zohar Shamar, and he didn't tell us in his commentary which word Zohar Shamar he's talking about. So this proves it must be Zohar Shamar that we already learned above. And, and there's, a, there's a connection between them. And the only one that would be, this means Zohar Shamar to Shabbos remembering and keeping or guarding Shabbos. Now, the Rebbe explains, Shmira Shabbos, Eina Pa'ula Tamidis Tamidi. Observing Shabbos or guarding Shabbos or keeping Shabbos, it would seem, is not a constant pa'ula, a constant action. It only takes place on Shabbos. Makar. Nevertheless, the Torah gives us the tzivoy, the commandment, in the infinitive verb, which must mean hamoyre, it teaches al inyan tamidi, constancy. From this is proven, that even in action that you don't actively engage in at all times, but because it's done 
constantly, even if not unremittingly, but it's done constantly in very particular times. So you could still use the term makar, which is constancy. So although it's not 24-7, but since it's every seventh day, constantly since Briyas Ha'ilam, it's still considered constantly, and therefore it is appropriate that the tzivoy should have been belashem makar. V'haraya mishamar kishla'atzma, klusha edyesem meharaya dezacha. So then the Rebbe is saying, good. So then Shamar should have been our only proof. Why did Rashi put Zohar first? And I have explained because the proof from Shamar is inferior or weaker by itself than the proof from Zohar. Why? Share Shmira Shabbos Because keeping Shabbos, observing Shabbos, guarding Shabbos, in other words, not being Mechalel Shabbos is not a active action, but rather a passive action, a negative. It's the obviating of an action. If Rashi would have only put Shamar, you might have been able to come away with the erroneous idea that a tzivoy belashem makar, that a commandment in the infinitive verb only applies to a commandment that is passive, in this case, refraining from chilol Shabbos. Although it is in a very specific time, it's very interesting. But the the, but the fact that you're not allowed to break Shabbos exists at every moment. Even more so. Even on a Wednesday, you're not breaking Shabbos. Even when you're working on Wednesday and you're making a fire, you're not breaking Shabbos. And therefore, and therefore, the first proof that Rashi brings is Zohar. And the Rebbe already taught us that the first is always the main. Why does it have to be a second? Because there's some deficiency in the first. But if it's the first, it has less of a deficiency. Therefore, it's the main. And what does Zohar teach us? First of all, it's a positive action. It's an active action. And so, yes, it's true. It doesn't have the same constancy of Shamar. And still in all, it still comes in the infinitive verb. sorry. And now we can understand Although is not something you do 24-7, it's only done at certain times, even in the communities where it's done every day. Still in all, but because it has a very specific timetable, whether it's only certain times of the year, or whether it's every day, but a certain time of the day, 
Therefore, the Torah uses the infinitive verb, which teaches constancy. Just like we find the word Tamit means constantly by the Menorah. It's true, the Menorah was lit every night. So there's a tmidius about it, there's a constancy, but it did not last 24 hours. So the Rebbe is proving from the Menorah, the word tamid constantly, that constantly doesn't have to mean in unremitting fashion, 24 seven, constantly can also mean a situation where you're doing something at a very particular time, very consistently, even if you're not engaged in that action throughout every day, all day. Se'iv zayin. Ella shelafiza, but according to this explanation, tzarek lahavin, now we have to understand something else. Ke'ivon shelafiza, se'iv loitziv sa'atarekan alazman hakavul abirhaskayanim. If at the end of the day, in this pasuk, certainly, we don't have information about when the Birchus Kahn should be given. So Ma So what do the words Amar Lahem come to add after the Torah says, so you shall bless B'nai Israel? If over here it would have spoken to when you will do the blessing, then we understand the reference to constancy. But since it's not discussing when, what do the words Amor Lahem come to teach? And it's a very big stretch, the Rebbe says, to say that if it wouldn't have said Amor Lahem, we might conclude that Birchas Kaihanim is simply an option. It's an initial Rishos. You don't have an imperative. You don't have a commandment. You could do it if you want to. Or that it means you have an imperative, but only when you want. So then when you're moved to bless the Jews, then you should bless them in this way. Chabba says it's a stretch to say that the words Amar Lahem come here merely to underscore that this is a commandment and not a suggestion. Delafiza, because if this is what the words Amar Lahem were coming to teach, then the, the parts of the Pasuk should have been in the opposite order. First, it should have said the general imperative, the general the commandment, and only afterwards, the detail. This is the way you should bless them. And then would come the next pasuk and the next pasuk and the next pasuk with the nusach bracha, with exactly the words of the bracha. So the words amar lahem, which appear right before the nusach bracha, should have appeared earlier before kois barachu as b'nei Yisrael. And beis, and an additional reason, yisera mizu, more than this, amar lahem, the words Amor, and especially Lahem, is not only seemingly 
extraneous. Elagam loshan hayamedes bestira loshan abracha, but it is also in contradiction to the actual words of the bracha. Why? Because nusach abracha kulei hu beloshan yachid, because the bracha in its entirety is all addressed to each Jew in singular form. Yivarechcha yishmerecha. And so from this, Rashi proves that the commandment here is not only addressed to the Kaihanim and how they will say the blessing, but there is also a commandment that relates to Lahem, to them, to Bnei Yisrael, the ones that are listening. And what is that? That they should all be listening. And the explanation is as follows. It's true. That Birchas Kayanim is addressed to each Jew in the singular. Hainu, meaning, that the Kayanim bless each and every one of the children of Israel individually. On the other hand, on the other hand, we know there's a congregation because the Kayanim have to bless in a way that everybody should be able to hear. There has to be both things, that all the other Jews and the individual should hear the individual as he is being blessed and all of them as they are being blessed as one entity. So there's two strata, there's a binary, the individual and the congregation. And from this is understood, why after everything that comes before in the third Dibraham where Rashi cites as a teva Omar v'chasab, and there he writes, you should not bless them in haste and with frenzy. Because once you understand what is demanded here, and all simultaneously, both the blessing and the intention of the blessing for each individual, and the blessing and the intention for the congregation, once you understand what the Kayan is up against, you can understand why he would do this in haste. He would make haste in the singular aspect, in the individuated aspect. Why would he do haste? Why would he make haste in the individuated aspect? Because he has to have an intention on the second Jew and the third and the fourth and the 500,000 and the millionth Jew. And he also has to have an intention on all of them together. And now you understand why Rashi needs both 
terms, haste and hysteria, or bahalais, which, which Rebbe says, miloshim bahul, panicked, ubalul, confused. Now you understand why a kain might be panicked and confused. Now you understand why a mother might be hysterical. Because there's so many things that have to happen at the same time. Meaning, the kaihain actually might be confused and overwhelmed and panicked from the multiplicity of intentions that are demanded of him all at the same time. Rashi, Rashi teaches us, and that's why the Torah makes here that the word is mali with above. Because here we need to underscore something very specific. That the utterance, that the blessing has to be full and complete, both both with complete intention and complete sincerity. meaning The kavana has to be for each individual and for the cloud. And in addition to this, without confusion and with full heart. Such an important lesson for all of us. And this is the Hayyam Yayim about that a chassid is a, a, chassid is a, is a, is a primi, that whatever you're doing, it has to be complete. But here, in the one thing that you're doing, there's so many aspects, and each one of those has to be complete. Perush, meaning, the Kayim might think, since he has to bless a complete congregation, so he'll bless each one only with part of his heart. No, 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 no. Not just Bechavana, who believe Shalim. Both. He has to bless each of B'nai Yisrael with his entire heart. Everybody has had the uh, experience where people say, how can you love that many children, right? Or how can you remember that many students? And we always say, love is not a pie. You know, it's not like there's a certain amount of pieces. And, and um, this is being underscored here. Ches. Rashi. And if this wasn't enough to completely knock us, knock our socks off, um, Rebbe gives us Yena Shalter. Beis Hadugmoi Shehebi Rashi al Amar Lahem. Both proof texts that Rashi brought on Amar Lahem. So the Rebbe already explained this on, on one level, but now he's going to take it further. Zohar and Shamar. So the Rebbe says, those two examples are actually brought, they don't only come to shine light, to explain the words Amar Lahem. But rather you should understand that the word Zohar and Shamar 
act as a preface, as a preparation for Birchas Kayane. What does this mean? Al Yivarechecha, on the word Yivarecha, Perish Rashi says, Baruchu Nechasecha, that your assets, that your belongings should be blessed. Va'al Yishmerecha, and on the word Yishmerecha, Kasab Rashi, Rashi writes, Shelo Yavoyu Alecha Shaydidim Lito Memeincha, that bandits shouldn't come upon you and take away your money. And then Rashi um, explains in elegated fashion, he describes the difference between when Hashem gives us something and a basavadam and a human being gives us something. Rashi explains that somebody might give you a very expensive present, but what kind of hana, what kind of pleasure, what kind of um, usage will you have from it if somebody comes and takes it away? That the person who gave you the present can't control. The Ebishtra, on the other hand, is Yivarechacha v'yishmarecha. Hashem gives and Hashem guards against it being taken away from you. And seemingly, why would Rashi have to you know, um, dwell on this point at such length. Rashi says, Rashi says, because if um, bandits will come and take away your matana, what will you have from it? Seemingly, everybody can understand this. Just because somebody gave you a present, let's say they gave you $10,000, they cannot guard against what you, if you go and invest it and your investment tanks, there's nothing they could do. So we understand this, whereas Hashem controls everything. Why does Rashi have to thrash this out? But by explaining it at length, Rashi seeks to underscore that Yivarechacha and Yishmerecha are not two different brachas. Ela bracha achasi, it's one bracha. V'teichna bracha u sheyizborchu nechasecha. And the final analysis, the bracha is that your assets should be blessed. How will they be blessed? Because the Ebeshter will watch over them. Sha'arei lulo yishmerecha, mahanoya yeshlei. Because if the Ebeshter doesn't watch over it, what, what kind of anah, what kind of pleasure, what kind of efficacy will it have? That in Yivarechacha enough without Yishmarecha, it's not a bracha, it's not hanah. And in like fashion with the second part, these are not two different things. It's one bracha. That is incorporated, that includes both the positive and the negative, both Yisa Hashem Pana, when is it possible for Hashem to give you Shalom? When Hashem, sorry, the positive is Yisa Hashem Pana Velecha, Hashem will um, lift his countenance upon you, and Rashi says, he will withdraw his anger from you. And only then will there be able to be 
וזהו שפרש רש"י על דברי הכוסף אמר להם, אס הברכה, שהברכה היא כמו זכר שמר. This is what Rashi is hinting at by putting both Zohar and Shamar. Zohar v'shamar d'shabas e'nam beis pratim nefredim. Just like Zohar and Shamar in relation to Shabbos are not two separate inyanim. Ela inyan echad hein, it's one inyan. At she'shamar v'zohar b'dibor echad nemru. And like we have the famous, famous teaching that Rashi cites in Yisrael, that Hashem said Zohar and Shamar at the same time. When is there completion in the Indian of remembering Shabbos? Only when you guard Shabbos, when the Shmir is Shabbos. And so Rashi is hinting here that it's the same thing with Amar Lahem, with what the Kayhanim. Call Bracha Shakayhanim, Mevorchim, Israel, Klula, Mechia, Umishmira, Shlila. Every bracha that the Kehanim are going to give B'nai Yisrael includes both the positive and the negative, or the guarding over the positive. Shem in yanechad, it's one thing. Sheyivarechacha yizborchu nechasecha, hu ba'efen diyivishmerecha, hu ha'naisen, hu ha'shemer, the davka az ha'reizu bracha shlema. That the Ebesh is the one that gives, the Ebesh is the one that guards, and only then is it a complete bracha. O behem shech lazem, mifarish rashi, and pursuant to this, Rashi explains, Amar lahem shiokulam shaymin. That everyone should hear. It should be said in a way that everybody should hear. Shahahachana, vahahachshara, the readying oneself and the preparatory steps to a bracha, la'ifen zeshel bracha, bracha achas haklula michiyu v'mishmira shlila, what is the way to prepare ourselves for a complete bracha, which is comprised of both the positive and the negative, the, the granting and the guarding? It is only when by B'nai Yisrael, and of course by the Kahanim, there exist both of these modalities. There has to be the bracha that's given to each one individually. Both in how the kaihanim put forth the bracha and in how B'nai Yisrael listen and accept it with their feeling, and the feeling that B'nai Yisrael have and they accept it. And on the other hand, on the other hand, there has to be the klal. There has to be the group aspect. Unbelievable what the Rebbe packs in here. And how can you be at once focused on your individual bracha and the bracha of each of the individuals of B'nai Yisrael and on B'nai Yisrael as a klal, only through the shamar, the shlila, the negative, the hainu bitul shlis mitziyosai. Only by obviating, obviating, sorry, your mitziyos. When you're in a situation of bitul, then you could be both listening and accepting the bracha for yourself, and at the same time listening and being attentive to the bracha that is focused on each individual Jew, and at the same time, 
on the whole Klal Yisrael. Ba'azai, and then, kasher kulanu ke'echad, and we all as one, hareza hakli l'kiyum barcheinu avinu, like the Altarev explains in Parak Lama Beis and Tanya, only then can our Father bless us, ad l'chlalus ha'bracha, until the general and the end, v'yaseim l'chashalim, Hashem will grant us peace, shehu shakol k'neged akol, peace, Rashi explains, is equal to everything else, Ba'ad l'shlemish b'zeh, until this comes to completion, to its crescendo, b'viyas Mashiach tzedkenu, with the coming of Mashiach, shashalom shmoi, we learn that the name of Mashiach is shalom, asher az, and when Mashiach comes, then, ehefoich el'amim kulam, kulam, safa brura likrei kulam b'shem Hashem, l'avdai shechem echad, the Rebbe cites here from Tzephania, and the Rambam cites this, that Hashem will transform all of the nations to have one clear language, and they will all call on the name of Hashem, and they will all serve him with one shoulder in united fashion. And also citing from Yeshayahu and the Rambam ends with Kimala Aretzdeas Hashem Kamayim Layam Machasim, because when Mashiach comes, the world will be filled with the knowledge of Hashem like the waters cover the seabed. This is our sicha for today. It's a good workout. And um, on Yom Tiv, I, I asked my father, you know, does he think that most people were able to actually halt cup? Like for most people, they did not have chumashim in their hands. They And this could have been the third sicha already, the fourth sicha. Like were people able to follow? And my father said that once, Abiel Khan, um, said to him that even at, he himself, Rebbe's Chayzer, at the beginning of when the Rebbe started the Rashi Sichas, he had a, a hard time following. It's not a simple thing. And uh, we are just so privileged that the Rebbe has trained us. And, and the more that we learn the Sichas, the more the Rebbe trains the pathways in our brain to be able to. To, to follow. Maybe we have to learn it five or six or seven or eight times, but um, we will follow as a session. Um, so I wish everybody a very good week. Um, I will be away from home and um, and not able to teach the the next two weeks. So I want to, uh, in, in advance, uh, thank both Tzipa Wertheimer and Chani Shemtov, uh, each of whom will... Um, be teaching one of the sikhs in the next two weeks, and I cannot wait to be together with, together with all of you um, at Hashem in a few weeks. Wishing everybody kol tov. Thank you, thank you. Beautiful.